Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Dr. Stephen Liu, one of Australia's leading plastic surgeons and the founder of Shape Clinic in Sydney. Dr. Liu is a pioneer and global key opinion leader in the cosmetic injectable arena and consults for a number of the aesthetic brands. Dr. Liu is a highly sought after educator and his teachings have inspired thousands of injectors around the world. Last year, he also held his own inaugural injectable conference, Aesthetics 2019. Good afternoon, Dr. Stephen Liu. I'm sort of pinching my eyes and, and wondering if it's really you. We've been trying to organize this for around a year now, and we finally got hold of you. Now COVID has hit, and we've all got a bit more time on our hands. How are you? I'm very, very good. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, sorry it's taken us so long, uh, but, you know, like everything else, the COVID hit us out of nowhere, and suddenly most of us don't have to travel anymore. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, um, I think every time I spoke to your clinic, you were on some far-flung conference mm. or doing something cool. So thank you for your time, and it's great to have you here. The um, anticipation is uh, is what it's all about, right? Yeah, exactly. You were just building the anticipation. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Performer. I like it. So, Stephen, Treat tell them us... Treat them mean, keep them keen. Yeah, yeah what, what have you been doing in this sort of weird lockdown sort of pause moment? This is an interesting time. I mean, particularly in the initial period, each morning I wakes up, I feel that I'm in a movie set. Um, you know, it's almost like in one of those post-apocalypse, except this time I'm actually one of the characters in it. <laughs> you know, you turn on the TV, you hear something happening in Sydney, in Melbourne, in London, in New York. and But this time it is for real. So it's, it's a very surreal uh, I've been very busy. I've been busy to trying to, I guess, as an educator, to trying to actually see what are the platform that we can do to to actually make full use of this time. Um, I think all of us has been sort of bombarded with webinars every day, yeah. and 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 to me, and I've been using this word that I think. Rather than content overload, perhaps we can disseg it down and make it more clarity. There's less content, but disseg it through to make it clearer for everyone. And and, and that's what I've been uh, I've been doing. So you you're adapting your conference, yes. um, the Aesthetics 2019, which was supposed to be 2020. Mm. So you're going to deliver some content through uh, sort of small webinar type scenarios. Yeah. Um, uh, this is the right time because we're actually announcing it tonight, uh, the blueprint. So under the umbrella of Aesthetics platform, we will have the live Congress, whenever that is, we are allowed to together because there's nothing better than having a human-to-human interaction, to network, to say, how are you? The other component, we call it the Aesthetics on Demand. There are four components within the Aesthetic on Demands, and, and we've been slowly rolling it out. 
Um, of course, the first one kick off last week. We have the static on demand live interviews with what I consider to be pioneers in the world, and 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 we had Gene Carruthers uh, last week. This week we will have. Um, um, Michael Caine yeah. and there's a few other surprise guests that I will announce this week so that's Aesthetics on Demand Instagram Live the next component which we will roll out in May the 17th is the Aesthetic Webinar Education and that will consist of 90 minutes of webinar consists of local and international guests where we will go in depth into each topic for 90 minutes covering every single segment of it. The idea is to keep it real, keep it simple, keep it practical so people can actually understand it rather than bombarded content. Next component we will be releasing will be in August, September. That is in collaboration with all the industry companies where we're going to hold a two and a half hours of the aesthetic show. This is a high-end production with all the bells and whistle with a lifelike life injection with interaction, engagement, and all the entertainment that goes with it. And the last part is what I call the aesthetic on-demand town hall meeting. And, and, and the one that we'll be organizing very soon that, that I'll be hosting a talkback with the heads of Asia-Pacific pharmaceutical company, the lights of Allergan and pharmaceutical company. The, the topic, the bread topic is the changing landscape of aesthetic industry post-COVID. What should we as the stakeholders should be planning should be thinking of and what the industry can assist us so together we can actually grow back to where we were before, not only from the business perspective, but perhaps also help each other mentally to prepare all this looking forward. To When's it. that going to be? I that, just... will, that will possibly be sometime in May or June. And of course, with all this thing, we have a lot of compliant issue we need to abide by. Mm. Yeah. So for people that are listening, maybe outside of Australia, I mean, I've heard about this conference, um, mm. very aware of it. How is it sort of different from or unique from the other conferences that are taking place? And I know you're, you're not, it's not being hosted by a pharmaceutical company, I guess, which is one of the major points of difference. So I guess in terms of, I won't use the word bias, but I guess more of a, a holistic sort of view where you can talk about a multitude of different, different products. Mm. Is that sort of... Correct, correct. So I, I, I think, I think, the aesthetic show, think of it, is a sort of two sessions out of the entire three days of an event. So, like we have showcased last year, if you keep the message very simple and keep it very honest, keep it transparent and have a free-flowing discussion about what works, what doesn't, what still needs to be uh, further investigated. That's the aim of it. A lot of time from personal attending various conferences, you get a lot of repetition and that's the thing that I think is a waste of time for everyone. And I think when people... You know, spend the three days or two days, whatever, away from their clinic. 
the organizer should really pay a lot of attention making the conference sort of interactive, interesting, entertaining, but more importantly, there is a value for them to attend rather than a lot of theoretical, you know, uh, education, which at the end of the day, well, it's great, but it doesn't actually benefit a lot of us who actually practice on a daily practice. In, in short, I want to make it very real for people. Mm. Mm. I think in particular, uh, what I liked is you did the little sort of three-minute snippets from mm. various uh, experts around the world. Mm. And even, you know, I've been doing injections for 12 years. I sort of walked away and went, ah, I'm going to put my uh, highlights in the fridge now mm. because... I learned that in three minutes from mm. Stephen's conference. Mm. So little snippets like that are practical. You can go away and be like, I'm going to change my practice tomorrow. Yes. Rather than learning about, you know, something random that doesn't apply to you. Correct. So that, that's what I really loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen, I'm sure people have heard of you, but for those people maybe in, in different countries who haven't heard you talk before, just what's briefly your background and... I guess your uniqueness is you're a plastic surgeon, national leading plastic surgeon, but you've also got a really strong and almost equal practice in injectables. So can you just explain how you came into that and why you chose to sort of do the non-surgical as strongly as the surgical? Okay. Well, as to the background, it's, it's long and complex, and I'm just going to give you a very, very short, succinct. Um, I grew up in a tiny little village in the jungle, Malaysia, with about less than 100 people. And somehow I was sent to this country when I was about 16 years old. So I I started my life, I guess, back when I was 16, learning a new different culture, different language, different environment. Um, I never wanted to be a plastic surgeon. I never wanted to be a medical. Um, I wanted to be a fashion photographer because since I arrived in this country, I realized that um, I my passion is anything aesthetics. It could be just topography or visual art and anything like that. But, you know, coming from a very humble Asian background, so I rang my dad, my dad said, it's a hobby. So somehow I ended up become a doctor and, and naturally the right thing to do for me was to become a surgeon because in the jungle, I got used to slaughtering animals. Mm. And without having understanding of what surgeon entails, so I said, I want to be a surgeon. Um, that's when life became very, very interesting because in those days, you started with as a general surgeon. Well, technically, I was able to perform all the surgery, particularly laparoscopic work. I enjoyed the technical aspect, but didn't really enjoy the type of caseload until someone in the plastic surgery department, she was pregnant. I was asked to relieve her. So day one, walk in, I look at what they did. I realized that that's something that I can relate to because Mm. it's very aesthetics. Everything is very external and you can't hide it. So that's that sort of changed my pathway. And, and after I graduated as a plastic surgeon, I spent two years in New York in the aesthetic part of the face and breast and then came back to Australia in 2000, end of 2001, started my practice 2002. Back then, you know, being young, keen, energetic, I sort of realized that there's this non-surgical started. So back then in 2002, 
anti-wrinkles or neuromodulator uh, had just been um, FDA approved and TGA approved. So that was the beginning. I wasn't drawn to it just from the anti-wrinkle perspective. So I was just sort of watching the space and then fillers at that stage was still in its infancy and, and in Australia most part of the world people were concentrating on the nasal labial fold the wrinkle part and that that from the coming from a surgical background it didn't really interest me mm-hmm. but I thought well you know I just want to play around with it so I started doing some injection in here and there just really didn't think too much of it until I was fortunate to be invited to a sort of a private meeting where some of my colleagues in Asia were showing me how they use anti-wrinkles in Korea and they were using anti-wrinkles in the masseter region. And that's when I realized that, aha, uh-huh, there is something unique here because for someone who is as a surgeon who do a lot of cuttings, who deal with the facial morphology, suddenly I realized one of my boss who said to me, the only way to change the facial shape is surgery. So those of you who knows me know that I'm a bit of a rebel. That's when I make the connection, well... It is not true. We can actually transform people's face just with a few injections. That's when my interest started. And, and that's when I started to use also the combination of fillers, not just for wrinkles or folds, but to create a shaping. And, and, and like everything, you know, when the stars are aligned, that's when I started my clinic. I called it the Shape Clinic. I was going to ask, did that inspire you to? Correct. Yeah. yeah, that was in 2005. So I call it the Shape Clinic because everything that we do, the shape, it is the most important. At that stage, one of my plastic surgical trainees of Chinese descent said to me, well, that's actually quite a nice because in Cantonese, shape means cool and ahead of the curve. So mm. I said, of course, I thought of this. <laughs> that's why I have to call it shape. So that's that's the beginning uh, of what I do. But interesting though, um, plastic surgeon notoriously are very conservative branch. Yeah. When I started plus, uh, Shape Cleaning, I got phone calls from my colleagues saying, Stephen, why are you double in injectable? Is that just, you know, so that you can um, get some passive income? So, and then I said to them, I said, well, I think that in a few years' time, the non-surgical world is just going to exponentially progress to such an extent that we can do things that you never, never, never be able to actually conceive. So, you know, 15 years later, luckily, I'm right. Yeah, and it's amazing how the layperson will assume that any result is done by plastic surgery, and yet some of it is impossible to do with surgery. It has to be non-surgical. Correct. I think, I think, I think you know... I think in this world, you can't just do one thing with one tool. Um, 
there are always, you know, different 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 problems. There are the best way to do it. There are alternative way to do it. Depending on whether our clients are actually able or willing to accept what are the potential downside associated with each of the tools that we choose to do. Yeah, absolutely. I remember meeting you for the, hearing you speak for the first time and then meeting you at IMCAS. Mm. Oh, it might have been around 2012, roughly, in Paris. Mm. And you were talking about the OG curve. Mm. And that's something that stuck with me mm. for all these years listening to that talk. Mm. And someone that's not from a medical background is watching you give that talk and explaining the mechanics of the face and the angle of beauty and all those sorts of things mm. was fascinating. It's something mm. I still mentally reference today. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, mm. it's gone quickly. Mm. <laughs> yes, I know. Eight it's years later. Eight years later. <laughs> mm. So I wondered if we could address the elephant in the room and then we're going to move on to the fun stuff. So right now we are still in effective lockdown in Australia. It's probably not as strict as the UK or some other countries, to be fair. Um, there's been this real hoo-ha, let's be honest, for over the weekend and, and on Friday when it started, when some of the associations came out and said, look, we're going to open our doors or we recommend people open their doors this Monday, which is what, two days ago. Mm. Um, I'm not going to ask you for your own sort of personal conviction, but we'll just lay out the, the sort of the landscape for people to understand why this is potentially controversial and, and what, you know, what should we do about it? I think whenever we are in the period of crisis, fear is a very powerful thing. Fear changes. Fear makes people say things that they would only not say in 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 a normal time frame. Now there has been a lot of controversy. I think I've listened to both sides of the story. There's no doubt that uh, based on the current legislation of a society that I follow, it is certainly permissible. But I think whichever you choose to do, whether you decide to open for various reasons, because there are people suffering there. There are people who lost everything, who are in the financial strife. But whether or not that you do or not, I think you got to do it in a very sensible manner to make sure that you adhere to every single part of what the health authority, because the last thing we want is for you to go business as usual, disregard everything else about safety and create a spike and a spike or second wave is going to be bad for everyone. Correct. Mm -hmm. And the industry will suffer Correct. worse. Even more. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, it's a really difficult, a difficult situation because, as you said, and uh, is being being permitted to do it, and then should you do it, are two different Correct. parts of the conversation. And then you look at the overarching impact of this sort of a virus on the economy, and how many lives are going to be lost through to like suicide or poverty, and all these. The, the numbers are astronomical. It's mm -hmm. like, well, you have to make some really difficult decisions, and mm -hmm. from someone that's from a business background. It's, it's, it's quite conflicting mm. to know which way is e the right equally, way. Equally, I think, you know, boredom is one thing. I think the mental health, I think, you know, even, even my personal, um, I like to think that I am a fairly creative person. In the last five weeks, 
when it first started, I kind of like, yeah, you know, I go with the flow. I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling good, calm. And then in the middle of it, there has been a week where I'm actually quite dark. I'm actually like, don't feel like doing anything, a little bit angry. It's almost like I'm grieving through this period, right? I mean, the first few periods, if you think about it, the few stages of it, I, you know, I was in denial. And then I was sort of like angry. And, and I like to think that I am slowly in the recovering phase. I'm now in a very optimistic phase. So I think, I think it does, you know, we all react it to differently. And, and I, I like to say that, you know, we shouldn't be that judgmental because there's no hero coming to this. And if we're all just victims of this in this crisis and mm. we're here together. Yeah. If there's anything I like to see people is, you know what? Let's do what you think is best, but do it in the interest of everyone. If you're going to actually start operating in your clinic, do so slowly and and conform to every single thing we know of to try to actually reduce or eliminate any risk of transmission. Mm. Yeah. And your little town hall type uh, meeting that you mentioned, that's going to be May, June. Yeah. So presumably that will sort of evolve, you know, whatever ideas we have today and, and you know, make that Correct. even better and tighter. I think the idea of that is, you know, some of us are in a privileged small little group that we get a lot of inside information from the aesthetic industry. But there are thousands of other smaller sort of sole traders in the same industry. I think they felt kind of left out. They're a bit shy, maybe don't have the opportunity. I like to use this town hall meeting to invite every one of them to log on and use it as a voice so that we can actually communicate directly with the industry, the pharmaceutical company, because they have the insight, because they they are multinational company. They've seen what happened to China firsthand from the business perspective. And China now has been open for a few weeks now. And what other response has been? And with the spite, we also know that certain region of China like Guangzhou, suddenly where the business has actually improved to 90%, dropped down to 20% because of the minor spites here and there. And those are the lessons that actually we can actually learn it from them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From a patient perspective, how do you think they are going to respond once we go back to, well, normal in inverted commas? Do you think there's going to be the same hunger or demand from patients or do you think there's going to be a slow sort of easing back into it over a period of time or do you think people will be like, let's go? I'm, <laughs> My prediction is yeah. I think we're going to get a surge. Yes. I mean, just go to social media. We all... <laughs> You know, um, during this lockdown, our phone is still ringing and people asking, emailing, when are you open? Don't forget, you know, people have this for a lot of reasons. Anti-wrinkle, for instance. I'm the, you know, I personally do believe and it's backed up by the scientific evidence that if you can't do certain frowning motion in particular, then your ability to feeling sad or at least the intensity 
has been reduced. And I think that's a very interesting. So from my personal perspective, before the lockdown, I've actually got my practitioner to actually hit me with <laughs> double the dose. <laughs> so they not only last longer, but also reduce any movement or negative movement that associated with frowning, angry, and sad and all this stuff. Mm. As a world exclusive, what dose do you get in your glabella? I used to. Normally, I get about 12. 12? 12 units. But for before lockdown, I had 24 units. Okay, 12 is very pretty, conservative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's not a very angry man. He's very no. calm. <laughs> Obviously, I needed a 24 <laughs> unit because it's worn off now in the last five weeks. Now, uh, that brings us nicely to the topic of the day, which is sort of a loose uh, title of the future of aesthetics, or mm. injectables at least. So we're going to break this down into toxins, fillers, and maybe any other stuff that pops into your head because you probably you know, privy to a lot more information. So right now, just to set the scene, uh, the various toxins that we use from the various brands, they're a botulinum toxin A. It's just a subtype of um, this bacteria. Now, first of all, why do we use that one? And then w that may explain why we use, why we might use other ones. Okay. So uh, as you mentioned, there are seven subtypes A to G and most of the um anti-wrinkles that we have uh, type A, and in this country we have three types uh, of type A. Why? Because that was the first one uh, that was discovered. And then obviously when there's one, it's easier to actually modify the rest. Yeah. Um, so those are the common ones. Right. And and of course there are some individual variation. They all work approximately the same way and their longevity is about the same between three to four months. Yes. Right. And then there is this type B, which is not available in this country. And the type B is an interesting one. It's really never been that popular. Um we, you know, countries who had it, they use it when someone who's not responding to type A type of uh, anti-wrinkles, presumably they have antibodies. And we do see that a lot in a certain population, the pediatric population, where high dose of anti-wrinkles being used for certain muscular disorders. So this type B has actually been used quite a lot in this group of individuals. Do you also see that um, resistance developing in maybe your Asian clients who have bigger doses for various things like masseters? Yeah. yeah. The, the masseter is, when we're talking about the masseter dosage, okay, let's, let's pick a common one we use at the honor botulinum toxin. The, the, even in the Asian population, let's say each side of the masseter can range up to about 30 or dare I say 50 units, so yes. 100 units. 100 units is actually not a lot in the general scheme of things. But then when you bring in things like calf slimming and yeah, other things. Of course, when you bring in calf slimming, trapezius and everything else, of course, there's an increase in dose. But the dose of that is still a lot lower than let's say a pediatric population with some sort of you know cervical dystonia spasticity and things like that yeah. but you you raise a, a good point we don't know the actual incidence of the antibody in that group but we do know that in the pediatric you know for for pure functional issue that's certainly a lot higher yeah the type b 
it's not that popular for daily use because it's very painful. Oh, right. Yeah. It's stinging and painful. That's one of the main reasons it's not being used. I remember Gene on your interview said it's a, it's a stink, stink, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so we're not going to use B, but what may we use in the future? So I've sort of broken this down into, why don't we talk about the longer acting type A first, yeah. which may hit the market, who knows when. Well, the the the... The long one, it's um, it's very exciting. Uh, I think people are looking forward to it. it it's the generic called the Dexy uh, botulinum toxin. It's a very different. Well, first of all, the molecule size is 150 kilo delton, but it doesn't have that human albumin attached to it. Mm -hmm. It has a proprietary peptide that is bonded with the main complex. And I guess that's the reason why it reduced the degradation of the main complex. Mm -hmm. And studies in the United States have shown that to last, you know, six months or a little bit more. Now, that is exciting. That's exciting because if you were to ask any one of our patients, I bet most of them will say, I wish it lasts a bit longer. Unless they get an eyebrow drop, an eyebrow Unless drop. Unless they have a complication. <laughs> okay? well, well, this was my question. I mean, whether you come twice a year or three times a year, I don't know, but I'm not mm. a patient. Mm. I don't know if that's a game changer. Mm. It's nice. So I have asked in the last 12 months, I've asked almost every single patient of mine who had anti-wrinkle. I said, if I have something last longer, I don't have anyone who say no yet. Oh. Okay. So Until that's, they have a problem, yeah. Yeah. So unless they have a complication. Right, so that's 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 you know it's not not an insignificant because occasionally we do get some complication mm. and how you wish that it lasts a lot less. So I think I think if we're going to use it, we got to make sure that the safety profile is exactly the same, and we got to know the product well. Yes, uh, that from what we all heard that it will hopefully be FDA approved. September, October this year, mm. unless yeah. the COVID sort of delay it. And, and, and of course, hopefully we get it 12 months, you know. Uh, and presumably the price point will dictate whether patients ultimately find it valuable to come twice correct. or three times a year. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Do you correct. think you'd find yourself mixing and matching products? Say, for example, you might use the longer acting uh, botulum in say the masseters, a lot of low risk areas, whereas somewhere like, you know, frontalis or where you might be doing an eyebrow raise mm. where you've got that higher risk of something going wrong where you might make, mix and match different products. I think, I think, I think like everything, you know, when you have a new tool, you will probably want to use it and watch it and use it again until you can master it. I actually think that once you master it, I think it just at the end of the day, really, it depends on the, you know, patient choice. Um, if we just think of the frown line, realistically, frown line injection for majority of us, you know, the, the, the incidence of ptosis is probably so rare, touch wood, you know, in, in my career to that, I have two cases of ptosis that I'm known of this stage in the last 15 years or so. So, you know, provided the safety profile is exactly the same, I think that very soon we might use it for most people. Now, of course, the price point, I think, will be the one of the very interesting dipping factors. And I think all these my companies will know exactly how to actually, you know, <laughs> 
how to revise it and, and um, we shall benefit. So there's the, I guess we, we should not skip these ones. There are the brands from Korea, China, which are, to my understanding, the botulinum toxin A's, mm -hmm. but they're just different brands. Mm -hmm. Do you see a place for those in, in our Australian market? Oh, yeah. I think, I think competition is always good, right? Um, the Australian market mimics the United States, the Americans' market in terms of um, anti-wrinkles. The Australian market, um, our behavior, the consumer behavior, it's, it's similar to those of the American market. Um, if you look at the company Everless uh, with their uh, type A botulinum toxin, uh, they're doing very well selling out hotcakes. And just to be clear, that's uh, not a long or a short lasting. It's just a new brand. That's a that's a that's a that's one of the Korean toxin, uh, a new brand that has been used in Korea for a long period of time, and has been approved in United States. And they did what is called a non inferiority complex. Uh, compared that to the benchmark of the current toxins available and shown that to be no more inferior. In fact, you know, the efficacy is similar. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, the uptake, it's, it's, you know, it's been very, very popular. Yeah. And what, what do you think the, the, is driving that uptake? Is it price purely? If they're, yeah. if they're functioning the same, it's a price thing. It is the price thing. Okay. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, this anti-wrinkles become a commodity. Yeah. Like a haircut or getting your nails Correct. done. Yeah. Correct. I mean, if you, if you look at, um, you know, certain things, I uh, can't think of, things are commodity. As long as it's performing well to you and you feel comfortable and it's cheaper, most people will go for it. Mm. Right? Think of Chemist Warehouse. Yes. They're doing so well for the same concept. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think the next, I think that will, the similar brand will probably uh, arrive in this country maybe within the year or so. Yeah. Right? And, and there's also another Korean brand that will probably hit the Aussie shore within the next sort of two years or so. Mm -hmm. um, Where do you think um, the whole trust kind of factor comes in? You know, we've had some of our brands for 10, 20, even 30 years and we, you know, you don't even have to think about it. Even the layperson knows the name of some of these products, and mm. you just you buy into it before you've even thought about it. Mm. They become like, new... uh, like, uh, like Hoover or Kleenex. They yeah. become like yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Whereas you know, if suddenly this new brand comes on the market, it, it would just be interesting to see how both the consumer and the injector sort mm. of takes that. Mm. Eventually, there'll be market presentation. That's mm. just how things mm. work. I, I think I think that that's a very good question. I think if you look at the spectrum of the type of clinics that's providing this. There are some clinics that clearly has been extremely well established for a long period of time. And these other clinics will be a slower adopters because mm -hmm. to them, brand is very important. The trust, as you mentioned, because there's a reason why certain brand last for so long. They are the pioneer. They spend a lot of time, effort in research into it rather than another company just like, okay, I'll copy and do this. And I think for those companies, they will always stick to the loyal, the, the brand loyalty because they know exactly 
it works. Yeah. Okay. And 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 there's a saying for a very experienced injector, it takes them a long time to actually change to other things. Mm-hmm. Because it takes a long time. There's always a subtle difference in how they're using. And then there is the the chain clinic. And perhaps because by nature, their point of difference is they're able to provide a good service in a lower sort of price point. For them, in order to survive in such a competitive market, they need to look at what is a particular product, what can they deliver provided it can produce something of a similar scale, they will probably go for a cheaper brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like um, going to Coles and buying their version of Coca-Cola. You just, it doesn't matter how good it tastes, you want the real thing. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see mm-hmm. uh, how many injectors. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I think at the end of the day, do is, is also the consumer were also selected. There are some consumer who are extremely price conscious, all right, they may not be able to afford. They want to be able to afford, uh, you know, the established brand. But when another things come along that they felt that give them maybe you know similar type of result, they will accept it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But what's the market penetration now? It's still like what ten percent, roughly. Yes. Is it still ten percent? Less well, than ten percent. So I mean, we've still got a long way to go in correct. terms of the amount of people that are out there that correct. just go even for the chain clinics that are still the most probably the most affordable option for people there are still 90% of the population Absolutely. for whatever reason that are like this isn't for me so mm. there's plenty mm. of room to mm-hmm. <laughs> that's everyone. why that's why it, this is a very very exciting industry i always say you know the blue sky there's a blue sky out there and it's just a matter of us protecting this and grow this blue sky industry together yeah, it feels, like, it feels like the only thing that can stop us is each other. Correct. <laughs> if we all stick together. I've had a really good example Absolutely. of that this weekend. Absolutely, because I always say that, you know, if we do this well, there are opportunities for every one of us. Yeah. yeah. The pie is so big. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, when something goes wrong, the, the average consumer out there doesn't really understand the nuances of the industry. They don't understand... They don't understand the complexity. So when they see something going wrong, it's like it paints the whole industry bad, yep. not just Dr. XYZ or nurse mm. so-and-so. It's like mm. everyone gets mm. t- gets tarnished with the same mm. brush. Mm. And I like the idea that you pointed out. We are our worst enemies. As you can see, the different faction that's yeah. growing in the last few years, it's only getting worse, and mm. which, you know, which is silly. I think if there's anything, we should actually come together. Yeah. Yeah, to mm. support each other. If you Correct. know something that someone else doesn't know or you can offer support, if we can raise Correct. the standards and help each other, then it's only going to be better for all of us mm. and the client and the patients. Correct. I and fully I agree. The conference was a good mm. step in the right direction. Mm. Now, back to exciting botulinum toxins. So the short-lasting version or versions, I believe there's only one at the moment, mm. I don't know. Mm. So that's a botulinum toxin type E. Yeah. Can you tell us the story? Because I, I gather that was originally de- developed by a company called Bonti. Yeah. And they've so, been acquired now. Correct. So so it's a private uh, pharmaceutical company uh, that was acquired by Allegan mm-hmm. for a large sum of money in, <laughs> uh, I think, about two years ago, 2018. Yeah. Uh, so they... They're going to run with it. They're going to do some trial to make it, make sure that uh, it will be, you know, uh, on market very soon. I think that's uh, when I first heard of it. I didn't really think too much of it, but having thought about it, to me, 
you know, apart from those individual who missed out on getting the anti-wrinkle for a special occasion because this has a very rapid onset. It's 24 hours. Well, right? I, I looked up a paper today and it's within 24 hours. Yeah, so, yeah, within 24 hours. And it lasts around two to four weeks or five weeks, Mark. So very, very fast acting and, and, and short duration. And, and while it's good for some of those consumers who forgot to have it because they have a red carpet, I think for us as injectors, as educator, that's the best way. So you don't have to wait so long to see the effect when you try a new technique. Yeah, I agree. All right. And it's also good for patients perhaps that are scared. Correct. And they might want to try, try something temporarily, go, is this going to work for me? I hate it. Okay, it's only lasting two weeks or I love it. And yeah. this is, so it might be a nice entry level for Correct. people. Yeah, yeah. So I also did a uh, kind of um, survey on every patient that walk in. What do you think? And I think the uptake, there's a lot less. And obviously, these are the bias group. They've yeah. already been receiving anti-wrinkles and got used to it and not realizing there's another subgroup who's been thinking. Yeah. Because don't forget, it takes a lot to go through the hurdle of this term toxin. You're getting toxin. It's a bad name. It's like the worst word they yeah. could have. <laughs> I'm getting toxin. It's gonna I'm kill paying me. you to give me toxin. So, so yeah, I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. There is a, a role and that's why it's so exciting. So you think about it. We've only at the moment have type A, yeah. type B, type E, right? Yeah. We have not say C, D, yeah. and G. And, and that's the thing that I think, you know, it, it's going to be, I think there's going to be a designer yeah. and the wrinkles coming up very soon. Well, we're sort of in a bit of an echo chamber in your clinic. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the converted. Mm. You, you, you know what I mean? Those people are already, as you said, they're already converted. So yeah. the people that that aren't out there, people like my mum, for example, who's like super conservative, I'm like, wow, this is this is exciting. I'm happy to try this now. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, mm. and presumably the price is going to have to be right as well, because if you get a result for maximum four weeks, but probably only two, mm. you can't charge the same, surely. But it's going to take you the same amount of time to do as a practitioner. Well, it depends on the buying price, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Well, it depends. I mean, once again, you know what? We we are we are really an amateur compared to this sort of thing, compared to this pharmaceutical company. They have people who <laughs> know exactly what to charge, what pricing point and all this stuff. Yeah. Right? Um, the other interesting one with the toxins, I think that's the end of it, is uh, the liquid prepared toxins. Mm -hmm. Again, made by... Well, to be made by Allegan, I believe. Mm. Where do you see that sitting in the market? I, at first, I scratched my head and thought, is that really useful? But I, I was mm. going to ask David a question about it as well. But mm. where, mm. where do you sit? I think Galderma will be the first one who actually released this. Okay. I think very, very soon. Um, what they have not decided, the liquid toxin, the liquid toxin obviously are the toxin that has already been reconstituted to you, sterile. They have not finalized whether it comes in a bottle mm -hmm. or comes in a pre-filled syringes. Well, that was my question to David because he's a clinic owner okay. and he knows about loss of product. Correct. So, <laughs> so I, was, I was involved in a discussion group to figure out which is the one. And don't forget, you know, in my clinic, I have staff prepared for me every day Yes, there is a loss. And sometimes when they, 
you know, pull it out in a tiny bitty syringe and try to get an air bubble and they squirt, you get, oh, my God. I've lost $5. I've got another $10 loss. <laughs> yeah. So so if you consider that repeated 100 times a day, that amount to something. And scale that to a chain clinic. Correct. So, so there I see a lot of utility in those situations, the discussion that may be a pre-filled syringe where rip it off is ready, it's no spillage, you can just inject. Yeah. It's faster, sterility, you don't need any, you know, there's, there's no other disposable cost and all this stuff. So I yeah. think there is certainly... Yeah. And there's also an opportunity for the pharma company to develop their own proprietary needle and syringe because mm-hmm. currently we're using, you know, an insulin Generic, syringe, which yeah. is completely mm. weird, I think, mm. really. Mm. I mean, I don't use them, but mm. many so people So it's do. actually very interesting. All these that we thought of is actually coming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also the human error of reconstituting with the wrong dilution. If correct. you think you've got a you know, a, a vial with a different amount of active units in it. I've seen that happen before, especially if you've got <laughs> like multiple brands. Yeah. Um, yeah, these things yes. happen. And time too. I mean, and also, you know, you blunt the needle at the bottom of the, Correct. At the, bottom of the bottle. Mm. So patient comfort and all those mm. sorts How of things. How many times in the last five years have you had a call from an injector <laughs> say, ah, oh, I've screwed up the dilution, David. I'm so sorry. Mm. It happens yeah. not oh, infrequently. Yeah. Well, it is. Yeah. I mean, human error. Human error is one of the m- most important thing we want to avoid. So, so, so once again, you know, there's a lot of thoughts being put in by all these billion-dollar pharmaceutical company as to why. And obviously, someone has requested it and someone has been, you know, a task force has been established to look into this. And, and, and yeah, whether or not it will apply to my clinic, I'm not entirely sure about a chain clinic like yours, David. I think there could yeah. be, you know, even storage yeah. Even storage of product when you have a lot of, you know, different practitioners and injectors using yeah. it. How do you control the products? It's very difficult because sometimes yeah. you've got like two or three injectors working at the same time in the same facility and you might be seeing 30 or 40 patients more in Correct. a day. So you, it's very easy for mm. things to go awry and mm. mistakes to be made and people not to communicate properly and... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to give you, so I was also involved in in this meeting where they are thinking of for those change clinic, they're thinking of provide you with a cabinet, computerized, fingerprint, so whoever take it out, they can actually tally it up for you and tell you exactly when to order. Yeah. Or even so, they would actually automatically place an order to the company for you. Yeah. So Perfect. I think that's actually quite good. Yeah, that would be very, very useful. What, mm. what was the thought process of giving you a vial with liquid but not in syringes? What, what's the purpose of that? Well, the, the purpose of that is, well, once again, it's sterile, it's all been ready mixed for you. So that all you need to do is draw it up. The advantage of that is you can draw it up to the amount that you want, mm-hmm. right? So at the moment, if they give you a pre-filled syringe, let's say... 20 units you may in your preference not wanting to use 20 units for your patient yes all right so we know that no matter how sharp a needle is after two or three or four pricks it become blunt yeah so so that's perhaps is another school of thought that's why i'm saying they have not decided Mm. whether they go both way or they have a pre-filled syringes Mm. i mean 
whilst of course we want to be as sterile as we can, sterility's never really been an issue with toxin. Mm-hmm. It's been filler that's that's a real yeah, issue. Yeah, so I think I think I think we live in a um we we our market is highly developed and I think we are fortunate because we've been instilled on us sterility. If you go to you know, we all been to a certain country where even a basic surgical procedure sterility is not the priority (laughs) right even i hate to say it even nowadays you can actually spin to a country where you know they reuse syringes are you serious yeah wow okay and where a lot of this injection is done without gloves actually i went to india in 2006 on my sort of fourth year medical elective and i specifically took a bag of syringes and stuff just in case that happened and lo Mm. and behold my friend's sister fell off a rickshaw Mm. and broke her arm Mm. and we took our little bag of syringes and said look we're really sorry but can you just use this stuff and they did and maybe you're right (laughs) yeah well i mean it's, it's not i i went to a very developed country two years ago where extremely well-known practitioner was injecting fillers with no gloves yeah and you know and holding a non-sterile glove and dab and all that stuff yeah and the way they chuck it and all this stuff you look at it just like hmm okay (laughs) fine you know would there be a long way to go would there be any issues with how long the product will last because i know that once you reconstitute products the their sort of their shelf life starts to diminish in terms mm. of efficacy. Does it? Do they sort of found a way to destabilize this? Obviously, if it's already pre comes mm. pre constituted. I, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I think, I think, whether or not this is a new formulation they've developed, you know, rather than what we have reconstituted for powder and all this stuff, I'm not entirely clear. Mm. That's sort of like classified information. <laughs> Fair to enough. Kill me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the only other advance, not really an advance, but um, there'll be off-label areas currently that become on-label. Do you have any knowledge of which particular areas? Yeah, I think so, masseter and platysma. Yeah. So the masseter trial, at least a part one of it, where Canada, Australia, Taiwan uh, were involved with, that's completed. What they want to do now is recruit China um to actually finish that trial mm-hmm. before they release it. So that was the Masseter trial. That trial took about three years right. ago. And do you, did they have a standardized technique of injecting? Yeah, yeah. They have a, like every single trial, you, you, you have to, because, you know, it may not be everyone's cup of tea how that was done, but that was developed so that it is considered at that stage to be a safe wave and a very objective way how we actually do that trial between centers. Yeah. Um, so the result has been fascinating in terms of the dose ranges and what works. Higher dose doesn't really get you more more of that efficacy. Mm. Really? Mm. Okay. Um is this the part of the podcast that I'm most excited about, which is the fillers that address things like skin laxity and crepiness? Because I know you and I have had some <laughs> quiet discussions around it, but I've been dying to hear about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, um, well, to set the scene again, so our typical fillers, I know there are some unusual fillers, but our typical fillers are made of hyaluronic acid. Yes. And, uh, you know, all of the brands deliver sort of similar sort of results, um, you know, within reason. So... 
the new ones, I guess I've sort of tried to do this in order, but maybe sorry, did I did I <laughs> did I screw up your order of events with how you want to? No, 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 no. I was actually going to ask. I'm going to ask Stephen a question. Okay. How do you do your masseters? First of all, uh, how do you tend to do them? Uh, how many points? Carefully. What <laughs> um, so I use a. Um, uh, one mil syringe. Yeah. I use a disposable 32 gauge needle. Um, the yellow one? The yellow one. Yes. Um, and I think it's half an inch or yes. 13 millimeters because you do need that to, to get the, the depth into it. Uh, I used to do three points injection. Now I actually increase to four points injection. So do I. Um, and, you know, obviously because of the complication of, of my masseter where you get that herniation, yes. that sausage-like thing. Um, so I distribute the, the dosage where the first injection point, I will put it at the peak of the bulk where I put 50% of it. Then the other three injection point, I distribute the rest of the units into a sort of a triangle surrounding my central injection. That's how I actually do it. The aim of it is so that we can actually get to the three different parts of the muscle. And in anatomical textbook, they have you know superficial, intermediate, and deep. This is one of the, I've done a lot of dissection for education. This is one of the hardest muscles to dissect, to actually say, hey, this is the superficial, intermediate, <laughs> and deep. It, it's not as clear-cut. And, and that's why we still see the occasional complication of herniation. And, and that's why I decided, you know what? Can't really see it in, in the cadaver lab. I'm going to just basically make sure I have four injection points to cover myself. Do you ever um, put your needle sort of fairly deep or even down onto bone and then pull back a bit and then inject retrograde? No. So you cover those bellies? Yeah, no. Why not? Because I think, once again... The back to the three layer muscle, they do not overlap exactly at the same place, right? So once again, there are some patient with a very small superficial head. There are some patient with a very big intermediate head. And equally, there's variation in how big the deep head is. And because the deep head, by definition, is the smallest component and sometimes you may just miss that little dip head. Mm -hmm. And I think superficial one is the biggest, and that's why we normally don't have that issue. All right. So if you were to if you were to just go into one or two point and withdraw it, we know that superficial head is the one that we hardly miss. Yes. All right. So you will tend to miss the dip head even more. Okay. So I, I don't I don't go for that. Yeah. So what depth are you at with your half inch needle? Down to almost touching the bone. Okay. Mm. Perfect. Now we'll mm. move on to fillers. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to get that. Yes, yeah, okay. Mm. Um, I just saw the look on your face like, damn it, you just... <laughs> yeah, well, well uh, I, I guess the first uh, new filler, if you want to call it um, new, is Allegan's range. Yep. Um, so that was sort of much uh, anticipated and maybe with COVID, who knows when that will come out now. But without mentioning its name, how, how is that sort of exciting and new and how will we, will we use mm, okay. it? So this is this is exciting. Obviously, this is a Vicross technology. Yes. Um, so that's a family of fillers. That's a family of fillers. This has a 25 milligram. It is interesting because if you look at the rheology, it has a highest G prime. Think of it as a gel hardness. 
think of it as the oomph and the cohesivity, things of how they want to stick together. So if you think about it, it's almost like it's a hybrid of the Hyler cross and the Vi cross together. Now, those of you, those who like Hyler cross, it just, Hyler cross, it has the ability to stick together. So if you have something with a high oomph and ability to stick together, almost like creating an implant in a syringe. And yes. that's why this is great for projection, shaping the chin and the jawline in particular. And and the greatest thing about the Vicross is no matter how high the G-prime, how cohesive, they have a way to actually design it so that when you inject, it's actually so easy to inject. It's smooth. That is such, you know, extrusion force. It's not something that, People mention, you know, we just submitted an article talking about the important extrusion force because it's so easy to inject, which means that you can control the speed. You have so much control. So that's the unique feature that I've not seen it in any other fillers at the ability to have all those properties and yet so easy to inject. And I think every one of us should be, you know, can't can sort of, way to get our hand to start playing as as we like to call it with these products you and i spoke uh privately quite a while ago i know you've played with it yeah. what, what were your initial thoughts the initial thought was it's very easy to inject and then it was a bit skeptical if it's so easy to inject would it stay the shape and and i have it actually injected onto myself mm -hmm. okay and uh, the initial feeling was I love the result, but I also feel that it create quite a, what's the word, felt very tight for a fairly long period of time. I had it injected into my chin and I felt quite tight for close to about 10 days or so. Which makes me realize that if I were to use it, I need to be a little bit careful with how much product I put in. Can you imagine if I suddenly, that was one mil. If I suddenly have three mil put in in one setting, I will probably have some difficulty perhaps, you know, using that muscle in that region and may potentially affect my speech may so i don't know so that's something that is is quite commonly reported by colleagues elsewhere where they felt you know quite tight so once again you know like everything we will know how to actually use it to so that you know we will know how to use it so that our patients are well educated yeah but i love the effect yes mm. it's just like teasing out the nuances of everything right yeah. you just gotta i love yeah. the effect yeah. You know, and the jawlines become so, uh, you know, it's like the feature that people were asking for. And Correct. yet I feel that we've lacked that product to Correct. deliver those results. Correct. Correct. So hopefully we'll get mm. that soon. I think with this is we'll be a little bit more efficient in the product, the amount of product, because notoriously the jawline and chin is where you need quite a lot of product and sometimes can be sort of like mm, financially. So I think with this, you know, I, I for me, if I were to sculpt a beautiful jawline, I would use a combination of that product, the new product and the old one together. And I think that will create a very beautiful result. And that is very, very, um, what's the word, um, f affordable for most of our clients or patients.
can you see any uses of that particular product, which, like you said, it's almost like a, and it's trying to replicate an implant. Would you use it anywhere else yeah. in the face? Yeah. So, so I'll try not to say it because I try not to, and try to toe the party line. <laughs> yeah, good one, Jake. So, <laughs> yeah. So for me, for me, it will be in the chin, in the angle of the mandible, and at the apex of the cheek. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. To get the projections right. I was going to ask about noses. Mm, yes, you can. Noses is an off-label yes. and it's a highly, highly dangerous area. And yes, noses is the other area that we will use it. Okay. Mm-hmm. In about, fact, there's a trial being conducted at the moment. Oh, great. On noses. What about in the body? Would you use it in the body anyway? It would yeah. become it would be cost prohibitive. <laughs> yeah, it will be very, very, very expensive. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I did read... Uh, some papers we we had some people on who do um tattooing of the nipple after breast reconstruction mm. and there are some people who specialize in using filler for the nipple mm. to get a little bit more projection and mm. shape mm. rather than just the 3d tattoo effect mm. so mm. maybe a, a high g prime mm. product Correct. there would be useful mm. so it's very interesting five years ago i was overseas and this company said to me what do you think of this company it's in Sydney. I said, I've never heard of it. I said, oh, okay, fine. They told me briefly. So I did some Google and I thought, my God, this company is in our backyard and we've never heard of it. So I rang the company as soon as I arrived home and I spoke to the CEO and I said, hi, my name is Sish. You don't know me. So just this is what I do and... I may be able to help if you think that, you know, I'm suitable. Just find out a little bit. So I got a phone call the next day and we met. And through this professor, he's a biochemist at Sydney University. He has been researching on elastin for a long period of time. So he developed this synthetic molecule, pro-elastogen, which is a precursor that will subsequently change into elastin in the body for a long time. And and through his lectures, I realized that, you know, our selfish self, we think of our elastin for our skin, the laxity. But I didn't really fully comprehend that we need elastin in every part of our body. Our heart will never be able to pump as a pump without elastin. Our arteries, our lungs and all this stuff. So, so I visited his, uh, his lab and volunteered my service. And through that, I understand a lot. So back to the CEO and he started to show me what they're doing. Do on burns patients, on skin grafted patients. And this day I said, Guys, <laughs> you need, what, what do you really, I mean, you are a small company, you are a startup. A big company needs to buy you, okay? <laughs> and I said, you need to get into the aesthetic industry. Yeah. This is the fastest way for your product to be commercialized. So eventually I put them in contact with uh, various other companies and Allegan in two years ago bought the company for oh. a big chunk of money. Did you get a finder's fee for that? <laughs> <laughs> Commission? I benefited somewhat as a middle person. You, you got a coffee out mm-hmm. of it. I got, yeah. Coffee yeah. and a donut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And a handshake. Mm-hmm. So... Where are we now with that? And, yeah, and what's I think, happening? I think, I think trials been started. I think this will be, I hate to use this American term, the game changer. This will truly be a game changer. Because if you think about it, 
everything that we do, our industry, we every time we talk about it is a collagen stimulation, yeah. right? No one has mentioned anything about elastin because we know that the body stopped producing it. The fibroblasts, you know, stopped producing it after a while. And, and like everything, our knowledge on elastin is very limited based on what we learn from the textbook. There's yeah. not much research. And I think this will increase our knowledge on elastin and how it functions, how it triggers other signals. For once, if this is successful, we may be able to restore elastic recoil to our skin. Yes. That is the holy grail. Uh, well, that's the main correct thing where I turn around and say, you need to go see Stephen Lou yeah. for a facelift. Yeah. So if you think about it, we have the ability to project, to volumize, to reshape people's face. But what is stopping us in those people who are quite lax it la we lost the elasticity that cannot be replaced, right? And if we can, and, and, and there has been a lot of, you know, what I have seen is very encouraging to restore some of this physical property of elastic recoil, I think we're up to something very, very, very wow. interesting. And assumingly you could, you could use that anywhere in the body, and is it sort of would it be administered via an injection or is it like yeah this is this is by injection only and right. of course elastogen the company are investigating something for repair of the arteries yeah because people with like cholesterol and all that and, yeah stuff. correct mm -hmm. yeah I think I think I think the chapter is still progressing that one there that's very exciting mm -hmm. so you previously mentioned um, hyalocross mm -hmm. vicross this will be called rejuvacross rejuvacross as, as far as I no. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any idea of timescales or, or what is happening in the studies think, right I now? I think it will be at least, I think it will be about three years. Okay. Mm. That's Which still not too not far long. away. Not too far. Happens mm. quickly. That's pretty mm. exciting. Mm. Mm. Um, moving on to one that does already exist, particularly in Europe. Uh, again, we can't mention its name, but it's sort of a new generation of filler um, that. Uh, well, why don't you carry on the story? You know exactly which one I'm talking about. Okay, so I think this is an Italian company. Correct. Yeah. This Ip is Ipsa. A, huh? Ipsa? Yeah. So this is an interesting one in that this is made of HA. This is HA still cross-linked, but with not your typical cross-linker, the so-called BDDE. So it does not have BDDE in it. This is a high concentration, 32 milligram per mil. It, the bonding, how they bind the individual strand of HA is, they, they claim to be a covalent bonding, like rigid bonding together. So it's been designed for skin texture and skin laxity. And at least from the studies that I have read and been shown that it's, it claimed to provide this sort of viable environment for the extracellular matrix to promote viability of the fat cell and also the fibroblast and keratinocyte, side. And as a result, it improved the expression of collagen and maybe even elastin and, and maintaining the plumbness of that fat itself. Some of the before and after has been very, very impressive. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I guess one of the main advantages, you don't need a lot of injection points. Yeah, it's got an interesting injection technique. Correct. It's, it's almost like so easy 
Yeah, right? so you basically do five boluses per side of the face. Correct, and then it will just find distribute. its way. Uh, it's weird. Just distribute. And, and um, I was privy enough to be an advisory board. We were actually going to have a physical meeting and it was canceled because of the COVID-19. So, um, so, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed and hopefully, hopefully we will get the product in the Australian soil hopefully very soon. And, and rumors say that we should be able to get at the end of the year. So, so that's skin laxity, quality, crepiness, that Correct. sort of uh, market. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, what else do we have? Any other juicy filler gossip that you have for us? I think, I think I've exhausted my knowledge. Uh, I think what I'm really looking forward to is something that will stimulate bone. Mm. Okay, so if if you think about it, part of the aging process is bone resorption or remodeling. Yeah, if we can strategically place it in certain area that you know your orbital rim, your your maxilla, your ala base, and certain part of your mandible, and maintain it, and I think that would be goal. And and if you look at, and that that certainly is in the pipeline. It's still in its infancy because if you think of orthopedic surgeon, they've been using a thing called BMP, bone morphogenic protein, when they deal with fractures, when they deal with hip replacement and all this stuff too. And, and they put it around the alloplast on the dead bone just to stimulate bone formation. There's no reason why we can't have it, you know, in a s simpler form to, to actually um, stimulate bone. Um, Brian Mendelson, a plastic surgeon, the pioneer in Australia and Melbourne, has been using um, calcium hydroxy appetite granules when he does facelift or just to put it surgically. And I promise him that in the next two years, I will find him something of a similar nature, but we can do it <laughs> with no surgery. Wow, very interesting. And then that's, that's available. And the few boxes I have in my office, I'm still sort of trying out how to actually get to that space in the room with local anesthetic. And do you anticipate that will still be injected? Uh, yeah. I have so, no doubt that will definitely be injected. So it's not going to be laid over the periosteum. It's gonna, you have to sort of, I don't know, make a, a little... You're gonna have to get it under the periosteum. Yeah. So, so all the all the um, uh, calcium hydroxy appetite at the moment, you really the reason it's done surgically at the moment is you have to strip the periosteum, mm. right? So that the calcium hydroxy appetite, once it in contact underneath the periosteum, will stimulate bone formation. Yeah. So I promise him before I retire that I'll find him something <laughs> that we can do it uh, uh, on, you know. In the office setting. <laughs> Excellent. Now, David, actually, you mentioned uh, body fillers yeah. earlier. Now, I know a few years ago, this was tried in the buttocks. Uh, I don't know, anywhere else yeah. in the body? Well, there are fillers uh, in the body, breast, breasts, buttocks, penis, yes. of course. And um, so there is a company now, of course, Galderma, um, had one and still available but it's not that popular anymore because you need tons of products mm -hmm. and it doesn't last long um, when I was in Canada May last year there was a company starting to use HA again 
um, for body contouring. Yes. And uh, I can't remember the, the company's name and they are doing some trials on it. So certainly on buttocks, uh, that's their aim. Yeah. They're not keen on breasts at the moment simply because, you know, we create a lump then whether it's a breast cancer, those sort of things. So they're starting with the buttock. So. Can you think of any other areas as a plastic surgeon where you think, oh, I wish I could just finesse with something else apart from your surgical techniques that body fillers might well, be? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the classic thing is after liposculpturing, Yes, and if you have some contour deformities here and there, and and of course nowadays we still use fat, but a lot of patients, you know, if you think about fat, it's not that easy, and you need some sort of regional anesthesia and time, you know, and the fat graft. What is great is unpredictable, mm -hmm. so those are the the immediate reason that I think a type of filler will be an ideal way, and it will be nice. It will be nice to have an injectable form of breast implants, mm -hmm. not the one that we had before where there's a risk of lumpiness and all this stuff. Once again, if we can have almost like chin implant in a syringe, we have the ability to, through a small little injection hole, inject something which will be almost like soft pliable contained implant. Yes. And I think there'll be gold. Yeah. Because right. I think since the advent of implants, they've never been perfect. Correct. There's always been a problem with the various generations. Correct. And now we've got Correct. ALCL, et cetera. Correct. So if we can have an implant, injectable implant, let's say have a finite period of time, let's say three years, right? Then you, the body get rid of it. Then all you need to do is have another injection. Because for now, the current stage is you have a physical breast implant. You know that it's not lifelong. You know that there is a risk of capsular contracture. You know that you need another anesthesia surgery to do it. If you have something that will last, let's say, two years, and I think the market will actually go for it, particularly you don't have to worry about, okay, is it rupture or not, and those sort of things. Yeah. Okay. Now, we had... Um a list of questions. As soon as we put up uh, advertising that you were coming on, we have got bombarded with people that wanted to ask you questions and I've sort of tried to narrow them down <laughs> to around about five or six. Are you happy if, I, if we run through them with you? I'll be happy to answer all the questions that you have. Okay. All right. So let's, let's roll through these. So this was from Carly. She said, how long do you spend with an initial cosmetic consultation? What are the essential ingredients? Okay. I spend close to around 40 minutes to 45 minutes. Um, whether or not this is a, uh, a surgical consultation or a non-surgical consultation, um, I'll go through a facial consultation. I will give them a choice. As a surgeon, I will say to them, what are your concerns? Then I will automatically give them a full face assessment and I will come from the top to bottom, tell them exactly what my findings, give them a summary and then give them their options. And then depending on their response, Sometimes I hold their hand to, 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 to stir them where I think will give them the best aesthetic outcome. Okay. Um, so this is from uh, in, I don't know how to pronounce that, in XU? Inject you Cosmetics. It says thoughts on clinics that have opened despite government advice. I think we've already covered that. Um, this is from by Dr. Iman. Um, Iman's from Sweden. Iman's from Sweden. How do you think the pandemic will impact the patient's view on self-care in the nearest future? Okay, now this is a good one. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I think 
during the pandemic, you see the number one cosmetic product that sells like crazy skincare. Okay, and I think like everything else. They've got used to looking after the skin, and I think what will happen is they see how good their skin is, and they will continue using it. Because I think, particularly in this country, we are in this sort of sunburned country. Our skin are terrible、mm-hmm. compared to our European counterpart. So I think the good thing of this is people will start looking after their skin with a better quality, you know,、uh, medical grade、uh, skincare range. Okay.、Um, Result Laser Clinic Nurse Mel asked,、um, "What is your favorite area to treat and why?" Periorbital has always been the area of my interest、uh, because is. Not only because it's complex, because it's very anatomical.、Uh, to me,、um, once you understand the layers of the eye region, there are a lot of areas you can actually do and do very well. And and the eyes is、um, the windows of our soul, and that's an area we concentrate on. That's an area that age badly, and I think there are a lot of things with. The right product and a newer product, we actually can actually do it very very well, and that's also the reason now I'm going to advertise now that my first webinar is going to be on the lower eyelid.、Mm. Okay. Now I apologise to the listener.、Um, someone sent this through yesterday, and I can't remember who it is, but they asked an interesting question. Nothing to do with aesthetics, but you do a lot of travelling.、Mm. How do you combat jet lag? <laughs> okay.、Um, I don't get jet lag. And I guess the reason I combat it is I don't stay in any one country for a long period of time. My record was I traveled to LA. It took me thirteen hours to get to LA.、Um, I got there in the morning. I spent about eight hours in a meeting, and I flew home that night. Yeah, a lot of injectors seem to do that. We we tried to catch up with people at your conference,、uh, including Arthur,、mm. uh, and we managed to pin down Raj.、Mm. But they're in and out as、uh, you know they've done their talk and then they're gone.、Mm. And mm. it's I mean it's clever because、mm. you know they don't want to miss out on business at home, but、Correct. also they don't get jet lagged. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, I take drugs. I take <laughs> I take、um, I I I have my routine. I've got it all down pat. So <laughs> I get on the plane and. I adjust my clock to the country that I'll be going to, and then I'll do my lectures, my work, everything else. I might watch some TV, and then I will take two Valium tablets, okay, just to actually, you know, knock me out. No gin and tonic. I know you like gin and tonic. Yeah, I do. Well, it's a chaser. <laughs> yeah, so I would have either a champagne or gin and tonic. After my first Valium, <laughs>、okay. so and then when I felt really, really good, I take another one. They will hit me, and I go to sleep. You know, Maurizio Demar with his pills. He's、mm. always talking about his pills.、Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we all have a little secret because, because like most of us being busy, once you hit there, you want to go straight working. Yeah. Yeah. And is it? You know, I mean. It's never that glamorous. You actually hit there. You actually go straight to work. Right. I mean the. That's what it is. Hit the ground running. Yeah, there you go.、Mm. Some final thoughts.、Um, as a plastic surgeon, who you know, 
expert in injectables as well. Where do you see your plastics uh, practice going in the next 10 years? Are you going to do more injecting because the techniques get better and better? Or, you know, do you still see a face, uh, a place for facelifts in 10, 20 years? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I think the, I believe that if we do injectable well, not just to give people the biggest lip, bigger cheek, but I always believe that injectable, if you do it to support the tissue, to slow down the droopiness or deflation, then coupled with a good skincare, coupled with the fillers that can improve the elastic recoil and texture, then we may one day may not reach the stage where we actually need physical cutting. However, there will always be people who, patient who does not believe in injectable yeah. and they will age. There's the same, you know, unluck, you know, um, uh, unfortunately. And, and that's when we still need to do the surgery. Yeah. Even those people who do the injectable will never be able to actually stop the aging process. It means that we may be able to do surgery, less surgery, less invasive and less extensive type of surgery to make them look good. And I think that's what we're seeing it now. And that will be a reality. So presumably your injectable philosophy is, and I don't want to use the word young, but start younger. So you're putting these foundations in place so you're not, you know, hitting 40, 50 and going, ah, crap. Correct. I think, I think, I think I've always advised my patient, I always say, you know, this is, this is not the acceptable thinking. And, and, and I'm going to say it now to share my injectors is if I, if I have, you know, free range of doing it in Australia, I would actually probably offer people some injectable at the age of maybe, early 20s, late teen, because in Australia, if you see some young men and young women, some of them starting to age badly at the age of 18. If you look around the eyes and all the stuff, and then so when things collapsing, and as I say, we're not, we're not, we're not talking about biggest lip, biggest cheek. We're just putting tiny bit just to support around the eye region before things dropping. And I think if we can accept that concept, albeit very, very aggressive, I think we will see that, you know, we will slow down aging process very, very quickly and effectively. Yeah, I agree. We need to get over this barrier or, or the patients need to get over the barrier of injectables is to make you young. Yeah. You know, younger people can still have signs of tiredness. Correct. Or whatever it may yeah, be. It's just like if you never service your car. Correct. <laughs> oh, no, that, that's very good. It's yeah. part of my thing is our face is the most abused machinery in the yeah. world. We never had holidays. Right, 365. I mean, even, you know, we all love driving cars. I don't drive my car 365 days. I still need to bring it in for service, right? Change the oil and all this stuff. Whereas we we expect our body, the most abused machinery in the world, to actually function normally with no services. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. ludicrous. Yeah. It, yeah, we were having this chat with um, Dr. Singh, who's a, a functional integrative GP. And we were talking about the fact that a lot of people, not so much when it comes to cosmetics, but just in general health about eating good food and all these sorts of things and getting comprehensive blood tests that cost a lot of money. When you think, when you put it in perspective with holidays and people going out to the pub and like, this is the most important thing that we have. If we don't look after it and aren't willing to invest in it, then everything else is kind of irrelevant. Correct. Yeah. But it's, mm. we don't, we have that mindset that it's, oh, it's too much money. Mm. 
Um, mm. And then the other side of, of the anti-aging, which obviously we didn't cover today with Dr. Liu, is, is on the cellular level. So things like stem cells and where that's going, that's sort of, that's sort of happening in the background in, in a different different realm. But that's it feels like these these two worlds are going to collide at some point very soon, mm. which is exciting. Mm. I think anti-aging is also a big field that, you know, that I wish and I like to see a lot of progress. There's been a lot of progress happening. And I think uh, we need to also think about internally. We can, as a as a aesthetic practitioner, we know what to do externally, but it's also the internal health we need to look after ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a bit of a philosophical, well, it's not philosophical, but do you think that injectors in 5, 10, 15 years' time are going to be redundant and we'll have devices like robots to, to do that for us? Yeah. I think we're lucky. I think we probably will not have that because part of the injectors, patient come to see us, apart from the technical side, is the human connection. I, st- I think it'll be like robotic surgery. You'll still be there. Yeah. You'll meet your surgeon yeah. and the surgeon will drive yeah, the robot. True. I don't think we're going to be there yet for a long period of time. And, and, and the reason I mentioned this before is think of um, the 200 needles that we do for skin quality that most of us have been doing. Right? Mm-hmm. And of course, you've got your 3D painting, things like that. I've actually been involved in the design phase with the same person who designed, did you, you heard about the Juvie pen? Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's a billionaire. He designed two different very successful products. He used to make pump for cardiac. So he's in his 70, he's Swedish. And we talk about it one day, four years ago, and we dropped blueprint and how we can actually do it you know with the device and all this stuff he said to me he said 3d printing obviously the way to go but we're not there yet we're far from it it's too expensive so we thought about how do we do it because the thing with those multiple injection patient absolutely hated it because so many needles right so how can we do it so that they can feel one prick and and with everything released into it so we actually have a prototype where in a tiny little, very thin um, thin needles, I can't remember what it's made of, but the whole face mask is moldable. You can just cut it. This is amazing because I've done research and this is my last question. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So Arthur Swift, when he came to Australia for your conference, he mm. delivered a talk with Chroma. Mm. And I think it was one of the, f- the last points of the future of aesthetics. Mm. And I'll, I'll explain what I took from it. Mm. It's a 3D printed mask, for want of a better word, mm. made specifically bespokely for, for your face. Mm. And my take from it was the little needles, I don't want to call them needles because they're not metal, they're, they were made of HA or, or something, mm. impregnated with antioxidants, mm. but also toxin. Mm. And I don't know how it's put on, but it's it's put on and, and you just sort of have it on for a period of time and that's you done. Mm. I can actually, I think we can actually do that easier now. I okay. think it's available. There's a, there's a device called Tixel. Yes. Okay. Tixel is thermal mechanical device where... Think of it like a fractionated laser, but it's not laser. 
the advantage is it can actually call up the tiny little channel deep almost into the dermis, depends on how intensity it is. But if you don't want to be that deep, you can actually do it in a lower setting where there's minimal discomfort. I actually had it done at the Cosmeticon conference. But the channel remained open for six hours. Right. If you now create all this channel and just infuse onto it, here you have, you can infuse your HA, you can infuse your toxin, you can infuse your vitamins without the little pricks. That's the reason that is exciting. How does the Tixor feel? Hmm? How does it feel when, it, when you're having the procedure? Tiny, it's actually not, it's not painful at all to me, but the, bear in mind, that was a low setting. Yes. Right? But obviously, if you want to go a little bit deeper, it will be a lot more painful. Yeah, because you want your toxin in the muscle belly, not the dermis. Or you'll never be able to, yeah, you'll never be able to to get into the muscle layer, but you want to get it into the superficial dermis where the tiny little septum in there. I think that is achievable. We can do that without that elaborate thing that I was designing and all this stuff. Obviously, that project fell. (laughs) Can't can't win them all. Yeah, can't win them all. But I think think that is a very, very exciting technology and something that I'm keeping an eye on. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, we agreed on an hour and a half. Mm. It's an hour and 33. So we've done, there. We've done really good. Well. Pace does. Um, thank you. That's been fascinating. Okay. And uh, definitely worth the wait. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to add? Or well, I thought we'd advertise um, Dr. Lou's conference and remind oh, people of how they can get in touch, how they can register, anything mm. that we can do to help promote that for you. Now yeah. is your opportunity to okay. plug away. Okay. <laughs> So um, yeah, so so uh, how do people? Is there a web dre- a web address that people go to? Instagram, yeah. um, if they want to get in contact. So, so for the first webinar um, on the seventeenth of May on how to do lower eyelid even better, um, the those people on our on our email address who attended Aesthetic twenty nineteen, as well as on our mailing address for 2020 you guys will automate send a link for those of you who has not attended any of those please go to www.aesthetics a-e-s-t-h-e-t-i-c-s-a-u dot com and there's a little white icon register interest once you register we'll send you the link perfect thank you very much um and if people want to get in contact to see you at your rooms for a consult yep my it's Shape Clinic. The telephone number in Sydney is 02-8356-2888. And I'm assuming you're on all the social media channels as well. And Yes. So this look up Shape Clinic. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you, Stephen, for your time. That's been awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a nice afternoon. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.